There you go. That's awesome. Hey, can I just say real quickly, uh, first of all, welcome, Church at Home and Fox Island. I'm glad you guys are here. Looking forward to seeing you soon. Um, hey, I just wanted to, I know I, get, did it, I don't get to do this often, but today within our midst, we have a couple celebrating their 41st wedding anniversary. Can you guys stand up real quick? Come on, John and Jill. Way. It's awesome. Congratulations. In a world that celebrates weird things, that's not weird. Come on. It's good, man. Well done. Thank you for uh, showing us how to get it done. It's awesome. Hey, listen, um, several years ago, I had a great idea to actually preach through an entire book in the middle of a five-week series. Let me just let you know it didn't happen. I, I intended on preaching through the book of James, five weeks, five chapters, nice and tidy, bow, move along, right? Not a chance. I got into James chapter 1, verse 1, and realized quickly this was going to take a minute. So I have literally taken the last four years preaching one chapter at a time in series after series, realizing that now we're going to finish, hopefully, the book of James chapter 5 this next few weeks. Yay, right? Just, <laughs> yeah, some of you are like, uh, yeah, I'll see it when I see it. So I'll do my best. Let me tell you this. The Bible is living and breathing. I'm so excited about how the Bible is always current. Aren't you always surprised at how current the Bible is? Like you just, you read it and you're like, it was written 2,000 years ago in a lot of places, sometimes later than that, but still you're like, wow, how in the world does it line up so appropriately with what's going on in the world today, right? Because the Bible says it's living and breathing and sharper than any double-edged sword. It's interesting. So Jesus, I pray you help us today as we get into your word. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. It's interesting. Look at James chapter 1, verse 1. This is what threw me off when I first started this. This is chapter 1, verse 1. Before we get there, realize that the book of James was written by the half-brother of Jesus. Think about that, the half-brother of Jesus. I mean, sometimes we rush past some of the details. It was written in around 49 AD, right? Remember, Jesus was crucified around 30-ish AD, 33 AD, somewhere in there. That means this book was written about 16 years after Jesus had risen from the dead, right? So, Put your mind around the idea that the people who read this knew, most of them, who Jesus was. Most of them, what he did. Most of, a bunch of these people had seen the risen Savior. Come on. It wasn't like so far away that they were like, yeah, that was history. I mean, you remember 16 years ago, just not that far. I think it was like, what, 2007, something like that? Maybe 14? I don't remember. Good math. I can tell you, not that long ago, but we know you can think back about that far, and it's not that far. Literally, this book is written. Listen to what it says in James chapter 1, verse 1. It says, This is a letter from James, a slave of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's written to Jewish Christians scattered among the nations. Greetings. Now, about you, but if you've ever read the book of James, many of you just rip past that, like I did, and you're just like, okay, so move along. So you're a servant of God, move along. But can we just stop for a sec and imagine what's being written here? This is James. The Bible says that Jesus, as Jesus was alive and James was his brother growing up, the Bible says that James didn't believe in him. They didn't believe who he was until after he rose from the dead. Let me tell you this. If your brother raises from the dead, you might want to listen. That was funny. Tough crowd. Been thinking about that all week. I can tell you this, right? And also, by the way, if your brother was Jesus, I don't know if I wouldn't say that. I think I would say like, hey, by the way, I'm Lance. The brother of Jesus, listen up. 
Right? He doesn't. He says, I'm the slave of Jesus. Literally, the word slave there is the Greek word doulos, where we get the word willing servant. Get that, please. It's not a slave as if you were uh, some sort of a trapped in, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in opposition to. No, it was a willing, willing decision. James says, I'm a willing servant of my brother, the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Imagine that's the concept, that's the, that's the mindset of the writer of this particular book. And as we begin to listen to the words of this book, I want to make sure that you understand that. He's a willing participant, not a reluctant captive. Right? This was written around a time when lots of persecutions going on in the church. So think about this. Remember, Jesus was crucified. There were lots of uprisings going on just 16 years prior to this, right? Those uprisings didn't stop. Because what happened to the church at that point, when Jesus rose from the dead, grew by lots. Remember, remember when Peter stood up to preach in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and it says 3,000 were added that day? And it said all the Christians were bringing their stuff and things, and, and the, the church was growing in Jerusalem. They forgot this one little detail, however, was that Jesus, on his way, rising back up to heaven on the Mount of Olives, said, hey, don't stay here. Go throughout the world and share the, the good news, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And here's what the disciples did. Thanks for the suggestion, Jesus, but we'll take it from here. We're going to stay right here in Jerusalem because it's better, safer. It was getting crazy. So then persecution happens. Everyone leaves town. Then we're sitting in Tacoma in 2023 because we heard the message. Come on, 2022. Just got done doing my 2023 calendar, so my head's still there. <laughs> this is a persecuted group of people. James is trying to tell these people in the middle of massive persecution, remember in 50 AD, remember what happened in history in 70 AD, just a few short years after that, when Nero came to power, and Nero got crazy, remember, um, as Rome burned, Nero fiddled. I mean, all the craziness that went on, there was crazy. And if you know, I don't have time to go into all the details of the crazy emperors that was in the Roman Empire at that time, but it was nuts. Guys marrying their nieces and having babies. It was crazy going on, right? You think the world's weird today. I'm telling you, it was crazy weird then. Nero was so bad that he would take Christians just for funsies, wrap them up in burlap or whatever it was, paint them with tar, stick them on a pole alive, put them up in the sky, open his garden, light them on fire, and just have them being on poles all around his garden to light his garden at night. We think persecution is difficult today because we can't find a parking spot. Or somebody disliked our, our post on Facebook. I feel so persecuted. I got a thumbs down. Come on now. There was some massive persecution going on. James is writing to the persecuted church. James is saying, hey, 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 it's getting crazy. It's getting weird. I want you to know. Can I tell you this? We're, we're going to find ourselves, I promise you, as we near times getting weirder and weirder, more and more persecution is going to come upon the church. Let's hope we don't end up in tar and poles and gardens with fire. That'd be terrible. But I'm telling you, oh, did I just suck the oxygen out of the room? Can I tell you this? These people, who would, they would yell and say, we are blessed. We're doing this unto our Savior. Over and over again. By the way, Nero did that because they were declaring themselves as being the light of the world. So he went ahead and said, do it. Then go ahead and be the light. 
I'm telling you, it's going to get crazy. My question for you is, do you really believe this stuff? If we really believe this stuff, it'll transform how you live, breathe, move, think, act, give, serve. James chapter 4 begins to talk about relationships. And by the way, I think relationships are some of the most important message that James is talking about here. James 4, 1 and 2 say this. What's causing quarrels and fights among you? Isn't it the whole army of evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, because you, so, you want, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You're jealous for what others have, and you can't possess it. So you fight and quarrel to take it away from them. We forget that these are persecuted Christians fighting with persecuted Christians. You would think at some point we would all rally together and say, like, it's crazy out there. How about we be nice to each other in here? Can I tell you this? Humanity is here too. And as the heat gets hotter in here, we're going to run the risk. Because how many of you know it's easier to argue with somebody you love? Right? It's easier to do that. Trust me. How many have a, good, how many have a successful prayer time over your family? Right? Over your family. You start praying for your family. You're like, well, I really don't like him. But God, do whatever you got to do to make him better or whatever. Don't look at me like that. You know what I'm talking about? It's easier to pray for someone else's family than it is your own. Right? Some of you are like, Lance, come on. The book of James is about relationships, about healthy relationships, about getting in right relationship in the middle of a crazy, chaotic, nutty world. Sounds apropos for today. Come on. By the way, they didn't even have news networks back then. They didn't even have all the, the red channel or the blue channel or the whatever channel to be able to say like, yeah, well, my channel's right and your channel's wrong. I never turn my channel off. It's always on. Some of you have been doing that. Some of you need to shut the channel down. Just been a little quiet with Jesus. If all you heard me say today was that, take that home. Amen. <laughs> James chapter 119 says this, My dear brothers and sisters, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. James chapter 126, in dealing with relationships, moves on and says... If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. James chapter 2, 1, again dealing with relationships, he says this, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in your glorious Lord and, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? James chapter 2, verse 12, staying with the message of relationships, he says, So whenever you speak or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law of love. And he goes on. James 4.1, what's causing quarrels and fights among you, right? You get the picture. James is literally saying relationships are the most important issue. When the world is going crazy, we got to get together and figure it out. Let me tell you, the thing that so surprised me at the church over the last two or three years has been the massive divisions within the church. I've not seen it like this before, and I've been in ministry for, gosh, 40 years. I'm telling you, I've seen, I've not seen so much vitriol and hatred and I don't like you anymore. I can't even breathe the same oxygen as you. But we'll share heaven together. Come on. I, James is talking to us today. And he's saying, guys, come on now. Don't just get along. It's not a kumbaya moment. It's about figuring it out. Hmm. By the way, a pastor friend of mine a long time ago said this phrase, and I've never forgotten it. He said, Lance, you know, um, in our world today, Gold, money, land, all of that stuff is so valuable. But he said, do you know what the currency of the kingdom of heaven is? The currency, not the currency of this world. The currency of the kingdom of heaven is relationships. 
Relationships are the currency of the kingdom of heaven. Some of us are very wealthy. Some of us are very broke. Some of us are writing checks backwards. In other words, you're, you're bankrupt relationally. If that's the currency of the kingdom that you're living in, some of you are drawing on some negative accounts. Come on. In other words, there's hatred and there's angry, and there, but you've got a reason. Let me, got a re- let me tell you this. There's all kinds of reasons. I'm so glad we're reading James chapter 5 right now. At this time, we could have read it three years ago when I started this journey, but why would God do that when he knew now was the time we needed it the most? James chapter 5. Why don't you get over there to that? Scroll up, turn over, flip over. But while you're there, just for funsies, as my wife would say to our granddaughter, just for funsies, can you scroll, get to James chapter 5 and flip back one verse. Again, dealing with relationships, scroll down one verse. Look at what it says in James chapter 4, verse 17. This is a fun little verse. It says this. Remember, everyone say remember. It is sin to know what you ought to do and not do it. Dang it. Why do you have to say that? I literally was writing the sermon yesterday the other day, and I was like, okay, uh, okay, Jesus, I'm ready to go. And then immediately I like scrolled up one verse to 17, because I was just going to stick with verse, 20, with, with verse 5. And I was like, oh, no, because there's a person or two in my world that I'm like, I don't want to see that human anymore. They drive me berserk. Don't look at me like that. It's not you. Trust me. <laughs> well, actually, no, I'm kidding. It's not you. I can promise you that. But I'm telling you, right? It's a sin to know what you ought to do and not do it. Translation, when you know what you're supposed to be doing in relationship, and you're holding off because you're so right, perhaps we might be in sin. This convicted me. Man. I almost buckled my knees yesterday. James chapter 5, verse 1 through 6 at this point says this. Look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish. All of the terrible things ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver have become worthless. The very wealth that you're counting on will eat away your flesh in hell. This treasure that you have accumulated will stand as evidence against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you've cheated of their pay. The wages you held back cry against you. The cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying every, your every whim. Now your hearts are nice and fat. Ready for slaughter. You've condemned and killed good people who have no power to defend themselves against you. And everyone said, right. Come on, man. James just literally just does, he, he doesn't drive the thing off in the ditch. He stands right in the middle of it all. You can just imagine James as he's like, hey, relationships are important. Relationships. Kabam, right between the eyes. You rich people. And he goes crazy, right? Some of us read this passage and you're like, Woo! Finally a verse that doesn't apply to me. You rich people. Not me! That's them. Thank you, James. Go get them. Come on. Don't look at me. You're like that, right? You're like, good. Then go. You rich people, listen up. James got something to say to you. Come on. 
This just starts out, you rich people. And I'm like, okay, okay, yeah, get them, James. Until I spend a little time reading through what a rich people is. What is a rich person in Greek? Well, a rich person, by the way, actually means this in Greek. There's a couple of different meanings, first of which is this. Plusios is the Greek word, which actually deals with things that are valuable on earth, like gold, land, and get this, clothing. Gold, land, and clothing. Those are the three most valuable commodities to a first century Christian at that point, because it's what they had, gold, land, or money, or, or clothing, right? You'd pass all three of those things down. It says, you know, your, your money rots away. We kind of don't think about it like that, but the, he's literally implying, like coinage today, I don't know what they do, but it doesn't get all rust. Those coins back then would rust if you didn't spend them. So you'd bury it in the ground and it would get all rusty and worthless. The clothing, you, you would pass your robes on to your kids. I mean, you would pass things on, right? Your land, all that stuff. So, so he can literally imply here for people who have stuff. He says, you rich people, you people with stuff. Right? Some of you are like, good, I don't got stuff. There's another understanding of the word rich here, which is used in, the, in, in Greek as a metaphor which literally means people who abound or supplied with virtues or external, or I'm sorry, with virtues or eternal possessions. This is what kind of buckled my knees. Virtues or eternal possessions. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to people who've seen the risen Savior. And he says, you rich people. He's implied, listen, I think he's, I think he's talking to rich people who had things for sure, but he's also talking to people who had virtues. He's talking to the rest of y'all. He's talking to the rest of us. And he's saying, hey, you guys who have the hope of eternity, you are loaded. You're wealthy. And by the way, you got a place to lay your head at night. You got food showing up in the morning. You, my friends, concerning the rest of the planet, are wealthy. We are wealthy in both ways. And James is talking straight to us. And he's saying, hey, 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 it's cute that you could think this is messages for someone else, but it's for you. This is for me. If all you walked away with today, or maybe watching us online or at Fox Island, you're saying to yourself, like, maybe this, is, maybe this isn't for me. I just want to help correct you and tell you it is for you. Because you might have stuff and the hope of eternity, which makes you super wealthy. Hmm. Chapter 5, verse 7. Let's move along. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. But can we just pause for a sec? Listen, this is, this is James writing 2,000 years ago. His brother just risen from the dead just uh, 16 years before this. He saw his, listen, if you saw your brother raised from the dead and he said, hey, I'm coming back. Let me tell you this. That, that's enough to rattle your cage of skosh. He realizes his brother, who was dead and now is not dead, is like alive. He's like, wait, so he's going to come back. He's, you know, today, we look about all the signs of the times, because Matthew 24 hadn't been written yet. We read Matthew 24. We read Daniel 5, 6, and 7. We read the book of Revelation. We read all the prophetic words about the end times and the third temple and the Antichrist and all the things, the mark of the beast and all those kinds of things that are out there. James, who I've never read as a prophetic book to the future, is speaking to us today. Let 
Be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains that fall in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for a time is coming. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Listen, if you knew Jesus was coming back at 3 o'clock this afternoon, something tells me you'd be nice to each other. If you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow afternoon, you might be nice to each other. You might forgive that person who hurt you. You, you might even say, you know what, ain't no big deal. We're going to be out of here in a sec. You, come on. You'd change. I remember I worked at Costco for 11 years, and I remember when I was working there. I worked up at Kirkland for a few years, and while I was working up there, the owner, a co-owner, founder, Jim Sinegal, he, he was the big boss man, trust me, and apparently we were his home store, right? So he would come shopping in, at the Costco in Kirkland, and when the big boss man shows up, right, somehow he had always warn us. He'd call the manager and say, coming in, right? And so you tell me what you think my managers would do when Jim was coming in, right? Mr. Sinegal was coming in. They went crazy, they went nutso. They're like, pick up this, straighten that, stock that, do this, whatever. And like, they lose their minds, right? And I would always laugh a little bit because I was like, guys, it's just a dude, you know, but then he's the dude that signed my check. So I was like, look, we've got to take care, do the best things, right? We cleaned up everything. I think it's so funny is that I got to meet him several times. And when he would come in, I, I remember thinking like, he's just this nicest guy. Here's the thing that was funny about him is that he was like a magnet for that one piece of garbage you missed, no joke. He would like be walking around. He'd be like, hey, you're waving at you, driving a forklift there. Then, he, then you turn around and look at it again, and he's got a big wad of plastic in his hand because he just found it. And he's like, just walking with it. And I'm like, that's going to bite me. <laughs> I just know. So, miss that one, right? We're going to have a conversation at some point. You know, we get crazy about a manager or an owner coming to a store. But some of us aren't living with the expectation of Jesus' imminent return. We have forgotten that you're not made for this right now. We're doubling down on what's right now. We're hung up on what's right now. We're crazy about what's fair and equitable today. We're trying to get our rights, our things, our da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Look, that's like speaking in tongues, and you got that. Right there, you don't believe in tongues, you just translated it yourself. I want to talk to you about patient endurance. How do we patiently endure this time before Jesus' return? How do we patiently endure this time? James tells us to live patient with patient endurance. How do you do that? Patient endurance, those are two words that most of us can't stand. <laughs> patient or endurance, right? Uh, so I'm going to give you the patience and endurance test. You ready? If you stand in front of your microwave and lose your mind when it gets to five seconds because that's forever to wait, you have a patience problem. You get to three and you're like, come on! Don't look at me like that. You know what I'm talking about. You're like three whole seconds. How, many, how do you know? Because you go there to get to the thing and there's always two seconds left on it. Well, I hate that annoying ding. That ding just throws me off. We lose our minds over that. Can you imagine if we had that kind of patient endurance in relationships? kind of do. How do you develop patient endurance during this time as we eagerly await the Lord's return? Great question. James chapter 5 verse 7 says this. How do you endure patience? Look for the rain. 
Look for the rain. I love this. James 5, 7 says, Dear brothers and sisters, you must be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who eagerly look for the rain to fall in the spring. Now, we live in western Washington, man, and you know what I'm talking about. It rains here like most of the time. But it's been a minute, right? It's, we haven't had rain for a while. I, I mean, I, trust me, we're so weird around rain. We, we're the ones that go to other cities or other states, and we understand the difference between wet rain and not wet rain. <laughs> this is a real wet rain. <laughs> You're like, it's all wet. No, not in Washington. You know what a wet rain is, and you know what a not wet rain is, right? That's weird. But I can tell you because you've been here. <laughs> and none of you own an umbrella, right? <laughs> Only people from out of state own umbrellas, right? Yeah. Or girls with nice hair. But I would tell you this, right? So there's some guys with nice hair too, but I can tell you. It's funny. I, um, I always think it's funny how I'm, uh, I'm a bit of a lawn nerd, and so I like to water my lawn. I, this is no joke, but I, uh, I, I set up my, um, my water bill on a, it pays automatically, Right, and I purposefully overpaid it for. It was like I, I added twenty-five bucks to it, or twenty bucks to it, or ten bucks. I don't remember what it was, but I overpaid it because I wanted to make sure I covered the bill. But it turns out I was like growing quite considerably, and I was like, "Wow, I'll never get that money back." Right, so I thought, "Well, okay, this year I'm going to double down and make my lawn green because I got a I got a surplus." Right, I know, don't look at me, but it's what I did. I tried to I tried to get my lawn green. Can I tell you this? There's one spot I can't get green. <laughs> Drives me nuts. That one spot. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? In your lawn, you're just like that one spot in Jesus' name. You stand there with the hose and you're just like, come on! <laughs> right? You're like, dee! Right? All that stuff, right? I'm, I'm telling you, that was me, right? I didn't say swear words, but I was up there just like, come on! Turn green, right? That's funny, but that's the way that it is, right? But it's so funny that if it rains two days in a row, it turns green. And I'm like, okay, Jesus, Nice. Funny guy. How come you can make it green and I can't, right? right? I don't know what it is. It's like I, I, was, I actually did some research. Why did the grass get green when it rains more than when I water it? It's a thing because there's nitrogen in the water and there's blah, 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 all the things, right? right? And whatever. All, here's what I came to the conclusion. When God waters, it grows. <laughs> College degree right there. I'll tell you what. When God waters, it works. Let me tell you about your relationships. Some of you have been trying your best to water your relationships, but you're doing a terrible job. You're missing some spots. Some of you need God to water your relationships. Some of you are in the middle of a relational drought. Some of you are like in a relational drought, and you need the rains to fall to water your relationships. Some of your marriages have been so starving for the living water of Jesus and he wants to fill your relationship. Some of your relationships with your kids are so at a negative that literally it's just grinding against the concrete. You just like, you can't move the thing because there's nothing fluid here. You need the rains to fall. Hmm. Number two, how do you develop patient endurance in relationships? Number two, keep your heart pure. Keep your heart pure. James 5, 9 says this, don't grumble about each other, my brothers and sisters, or God will judge you. For look, the great judge is coming. He's standing at the door. It's interesting, that word grumble, because you know me, I looked it up, right? Here's what the word grumble means. It means to sigh, groan, or roll your eyes. Doesn't apply to you, does it? Come on. In relationships, get your heart right, right? Because some of us are just like, oh, come on. 
So, some of you sigh and groan and roll your eyes <laughs> on the inside, not on the outside. You know what I'm talking about. You're in that relationship. You're just like, oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, you know what I'm talking about, right? And you're like, will you just move along? Like whatever, like in those moments, you have those things, right? And you might smile on the outside, but on the inside, sigh, groan, and roll in your eyes. You know what that means? It means your heart's in the, not a good place. We've got to watch our heart. The Bible says it's out of the heart that the, the springs of life flow. What? How could that possibly be talking about water too? Because some of your, some of your springs of life are not springs of life. They're not springs at all. They're just like Pastor Pritchett said a minute ago. It's like they're, they're, they're like Abraham trying to, or Isaac trying to dig wells and they're dry. Some of the heart wells that you have are dry. Hmm. Number three, how do you, thank you. Number three, live with patient endurance relationally. Number three, speak the truth. Speak the truth. Remember, this is James talking to persecuted people who are living in a persecuted world, who are all being persecuted at some point, who are all wealthy at some point, who all have virtue, who all have stuff perhaps, but who all have things, and we're all withholding it from each other. We're all being grumpy and crazy and rolling our eyes. And James says right here, I'm going to read out of the message translation for this last verse, is what it says. And since you know that he cares, let your language show it. Don't add words like, I swear to God to your own words. Don't show your impatience by concocting oaths to hurry up God. Just say yes. Just say what is true. That way your language can't be used against you. I grew up in a family of embellishers. My family were embellishers. That was a nice way to say we embellished. I, I would say I caught a six-inch fish but it wouldn't take long for me to tell you that six-inch fish was 12. I could tell you I got a, 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 whatever, 80 on a test, but before that conversation was over, I was, trust me, higher 90s. I remember, I remember Polly and I started dating, and she bumped into my embellishment problem early on in our relationship, and she said, you know, that's actually lying. And I was like, no, I'm just embellishing. She's like, no, nope, you're actually lying. <laughs> for the record, it's cute that you, that you try to tuck that into something to make sense in your head, Lance, but that's actually lying. I love the fact that here, he says, listen, relationships are not going to go anywhere if you're not honest with each other. Not brutal honest to the point like, do these jeans make me look fat? Honest. I mean, I'm, come on. I just, it's the honest. That was kind of funny. I'm talking about the honesty that says, hey, listen, I've hurt you. Will you forgive me, honest? I, I have this against you. Will you forgive me, Honest. I forgive you, honest. I'm sorry, honest. I made a mistake, honest. See, listen, no wonder James is talking about relationships. And no wonder James isn't just talking to other people. He's talking to us people. And he's saying, guys, the most important commodity you have here on planet Earth literally is relationships and time. And if either of those things get squandered, time and relationships, you end up broke. This time has a limit, but relationships will go on. How are you doing? How are you doing? I want to pray for you this morning. 
Because some of you came in here at a major droughty deficit in the area of your relationships. You're harboring bitterness that's been sitting around in you for years. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you because look, this last verse says this in, in chapter 2, verse 12 says this. So whenever you speak or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law of love, the law that sets you free. Some of you need to be free today. So Jesus, we just come before you and we ask right now that you would bring to our mind's eye those relationships that need our input, those relationships that need our apology, that, need, that require our forgiveness, that require our generosity. Lord, you know those relationships. Father, I pray right now that you would allow those things to come, not just so they could nag at us and tell us what we're not doing. You don't work like that. You're, you're not a condemner. You're not a God of condemnation. You're a God of conviction. So Lord, I pray that you would convict us because we want to be set free by the law of love. We talked about that last week and I pray that you help us to begin to be set free from, the, by, from this craziness of broken relationship. So just even as you're quiet and God's putting people in your mind's eye who've hurt you or you've hurt, who've affected you or impacted you or you have impacted First and foremost, deal with Jesus. Jesus, will you forgive me? I always start with him. Jesus, will you forgive me? The next question is, show me what to do. Show me what to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor.